Welcome to another episode of the Darren Batchelder Multifamily Real Estate Investing Show. Today we have a very special guest, Brian Burke, with a 30-year career in real estate and over half a billion dollars worth of acquisitions under his belt. Brian is a seasoned pro in our industry. As the president and CEO of Praxis Capital, he's repositioned thousands of multifamily units and hundreds of single-family homes. He's also a public speaker and an author of The Hands-Off Investor, an insider's guide to investing in passive real estate syndications. We're excited to dive into his wealth of knowledge. But before we get started, if you're a high net worth individual looking to preserve your capital and build your wealth responsibly by passively investing in multifamily real estate, and you'd like my help, Visit DarrenBatchelder.com forward slash investor call and schedule your discovery call today. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing. Be introduced to the players that are getting it done and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Brian Burke. Brian, appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Darren. This is going to be fun. Absolutely. So uh, just a little bit on how we know each other. Um, this is the first time that Brian and I are speaking, but Brian is all over social media, and I've been to a lot of different multifamily conferences, and he's a speaker at a lot of conferences. He's got a ton of experience, so I'm very interested to hear what he's got going on and where he sees the market going from here. So with that, can you share with the listeners a little bit on how many properties and how many units you guys are invested in? Well, a lot less than I used to be, that's for sure. So uh, I've, I've been doing this for 34 years. And during that career, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have acquired about uh, 700, somewhere between 750 and, and 800 single family homes uh, that we've bought, fixed up and mostly resold. I still have a, a few of them. Uh, on the multi side, I've been doing that about 21 years. We've I've bought about 4,000 multifamily units, but I've sold over 3,000 multifamily units uh, here in the last couple of years. So I think I'm I'm down to like eight or nine hundred units right now, which is probably the least I've had in in a couple decades, and it feels kind of nice. <laughs> feels kind of kind of nice because because why? Well, because a couple of reasons. Number one is I don't have the stress of having to worry so much. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, the other is that you know the, there's a lot of turmoil in the economy and in the markets and in, in multifamily and commercial real estate. And it's nice to be watching the turmoil from the grandstands rather than from the playing field, at least to a large extent or as large an extent as I was. And so, uh, you know, it's just a good place to sit right now. It's a good opportunity for you to kind of gather up your wagons and get ready for the next battle. And, um, you know, that's, that's really what we've been focusing on over the last year or so. Awesome. So like you said, good time to sell in the last couple of years. Um, and, and now there's, you know, there's been some headwinds since kind of mid, mid 2022 um, with the Fed raising interest rates. Where do you see things? You've been in the business for a long time. So, you know, nobody has a crystal ball, but you've seen these cycles come and go. So where do you see the market today and where do you see it going? 
real estate well, I, market. I have a crystal ball. It just doesn't always work. <laughs> it doesn't always work. Right? <laughs> right, exactly. We like to think that it's the best one out there, but, right. uh, you know, it's, it's worked really well a lot of times, I must say. You know, I've, I've been very fortunate in the way that we've timed, I've timed markets going in and out of a variety of cycles and, and it's worked out great, but it doesn't always work. So with that, having said that, you know, where I think things are going may or may not play out. Uh, but we've already seen some turmoil. We've seen some price declines. Uh, we've seen uh, the beginnings of some distressed owners. We've seen a few foreclosures. Uh, that's going to continue, in my opinion. I think it's going to get worse uh, in the near term before it gets better. Uh, but ultimately, this is really just setting us up for the next opportunity. I mean, markets just don't go up in a straight line. You have to have bumps in the road to create the next increase. And I think this is the bump in the road. And ultimately, prices are going to recover. Rent growth is going to come back. Uh, will interest rates go back to where they were? Yeah, I'm not so confident in that. I think we're going to have higher rates for a while. Uh, but that's, you know, going to translate into where, you know, commercial real estate isn't just a sure bet anymore. I mean, this is something where you've really got to pick carefully and work really hard to get uh, you know, average to above average returns. So you mentioned the term bump in the road. So talk about bump in the road versus some of the doomsday scenarios that are out there. Real estate's going to crash. So wh which is it? Bump in the road or crash? Well, in my opinion, it's a bump in the road. But, you know, everybody, people have been predicting a crash in the real estate for about five or six years now. And right. prices went up so far that even if they did crash, they'd still be up from when people first started saying there was going to be a crash. Uh, now, it's all about perspective. I mean, if, if you own 5,000 units with high LTV financing and your, your uh, mortgage, your, uh, uh, your maturity dates are coming up, uh, this is a crash for you. I mean, this is really bad for some owners that don't have proper capital structure. Uh, for the rest of us who aren't in that position, it's, a, it's what I would term more of a bump in the road. So with that, um, so I come from kind of the loan trading background. I've been in, in the real estate market for the last five years. But what I saw in that great recession, you know, a lot of was, was really the when the loan comes due. You know, that's the maturity risk is, is a big risk in multifamily, commercial, et cetera. Um, what I'm wondering in this case, and I want to get your take on it, is office seems to be the asset class that's having the most distress. People are not going back to the office like they were. So there's high, high vacancies. Um, do you think, like in the multifamily world, that lenders will extend versus force taking back the property? Well, you know, that's an, a very individualized question because every lender is going to make different decisions based upon their own needs, right? Uh, and, you know, when you talk about a crash in the market, if there's a crash anywhere, it's in office. Office is, I think, definitely experiencing a crash, at least in some markets. Like in San Francisco, there's been recent trades at 80% discounts to prior valuations, recently. So there's definitely what I would call a crash in, in office properties. In multi, maybe not quite so much. There have been some foreclosures. We are seeing uh, difficulties in loan maturities. We're seeing uh, sponsors out there that are issuing capital calls because they have to do cash in refinances uh, to get out of their loans uh, before they term out. But 
there's there's definitely a risk uh, with short term uh, maturity loans, and it's it's going to be up to each lender whether they extend. I, I think you know a lot of these uh, trades over the last three or four years were done on a three one one structure, which is basically they call it a five year loan, but it's really due in three years, and there's two one year extensions. Frequently, those one-year extensions will come with covenants that you have to meet in order to qualify for that extension. That could be a debt yield test. It could be a debt coverage ratio test. It just depends on what the loan documents specify. And a lot of those borrowers aren't going to meet those tests and they aren't going to qualify for those extensions. Then it's going to be up to the lenders, the note holder. What do we do about it? You know, Do we work with the borrower and try to come up with a solution or... Uh, do we just foreclose? And, and, you know, the answer to that question is there's almost as many answers as there are lenders. Some are going to be some lenders are going to be under pressure by their warehouse lenders to get this loan off their warehouse line. Uh, some lenders uh, are uh, kind of have the loan to own mindset where they're like, oh, we can't wait to take this property back at 60 percent. you know. And then there's going to be other lenders that are somewhere in between that, you know, they, they may have one constraint or another from the board, reserve requirements, who knows what that's going to force them into making some uncomfortable decisions and they're going to be uncomfortable for everyone involved. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I guess I kind of sit on the stance that lenders, you know, were, were quick to foreclose in the last one. And I think that they're, they realized once they took it over, they had all the maintenance costs related to holding that property. And so this is just my, my crystal ball is that if there's a way to extend and hope that the, the sponsor can write the ship with some time and they're not a loan to own type of shop, I think that my personal opinion is that that's what they will choose to do um, because they have too many headaches in the office space. Um, but that's, you know, time will tell whether that, that happens or not. Um, Talk about supply and demand. Like, do you think that, you know, you hear that there's a huge shortage in housing across the country and that there's a need for both residential and multifamily um, to meet the demand? What's your take on how that plays out and, you know, how that could help this distress? Well, then there's also reports that there's record levels of multifamily construction and completions and deliveries that are occurring right now. So it's it's a highly localized thing, right? You got some markets where there's been a ton of building uh, and rightfully so, because there's been a ton of inward migration. Then you've got other areas that haven't had much building at all. Uh, I, I don't know if anything's been built in San Francisco in 100 years. I mean, it takes that long just to get a permit. I mean, if you want to put up a fence, it's going to take you a decade. Uh, so, you know, there's there's going to be areas where there's always going to be a housing crunch. But then you're going to have other markets. You know, Phoenix has had a lot of construction. They've also had a lot of inward migration. Rents went up like 40 to 50 percent. The inward migration is starting to slow. The construction hasn't slowed yet. Uh, there's going to be a lot of projects that are in the delivery pipeline that are never going to see the light of day because they're not going to get the financing. So, you know, there's all kinds of push and pull factors that are that are occurring. And I think that in, in my view, uh, conditions favor housing shortages over housing surpluses because it's so difficult to build housing, whether it's the cost of materials, the difficulty of finding labor, uh, financing being a challenge to get, permits being either expensive or 
difficult to obtain. All of those things tend to, in my opinion, for the long haul, make housing difficult to keep up with with demand. But again, that, that can be localized too. Absolutely right. Um, so, what about financing in the t- in the respect of easy credit versus you know credit contraction? So, you know, in, in the multifamily world, people were getting seventy five eighty LTVs, and then they were they were getting their construction also the rehab also financed. So it could be an eighty five or ninety percent LTV. Um, now. You know, I'm seeing 60, 65% LTVs. So that's, you know, reduced the credit outstanding. Um, do you see that getting worse or do you see this being the bump in the road and then it can starting to ease back to 65 LTV and then 70 LTV? You know, which direction do you think it'll go? Well, it always tends to go back into more lending. You know, when you look at what happened in the 05 to 08 crash of residential real estate, it was fueled primarily by no income qualification, high LTV loans. Those completely went away after, you know, all these houses got foreclosed on. But then it slowly started creeping back and you started seeing that coming back into the fray again. So they're, they're always in the long term tends to be short memories about the pain caused by, uh, uh, you know, by easy lending. Now we've had, as you said, there's been a lot of deals that are transacted with very high levels of financing. And, you know, we've I've always kind of been more of a player in the 65 to 70 to 75, maybe max LTV. So to me, I'm not really seeing the contraction where it really impacts me as a buyer, but it certainly impacted me as a seller. I mean, if I wanted to sell anything two years ago, I, I there would be 15 buyers lined up getting 90% loan to cost financing, driving the pricing to the moon. And now there wouldn't be. So that's part of the reason why you're seeing value contraction in the multifamily space currently. It's, it's not really so much value contraction. It's a lack of pricing exuberance fueled by, you know, easy to get high leverage financing. Right. But uh, so like the, you mentioned the, the last downturn, you know, 2005, you know, well, it was really when it turned was kind of 2008 to 2010, 12 here we're a year into the high interest rates. Nobody expected it to go up that fast, that quick, um, and it's hurting, hurting cash flow. It's hurting, you know, like the covenants that you you mentioned. Um, is this going to be another three to four year, you know, time frame here, or is this going to turn back around? It's a, a year kind of slow down, you know, and then it goes the other way and it's all sent off to the races again. Gosh, I wish I was smart enough to have a good answer to that question. Uh, I, I just, I just don't know. I can't call it right now. You know, nobody expected rates were going to go as high as quickly as they did. And, and the reasons behind it really, it, it made no sense. I mean, this increases in interest rates intended was intended to fix a problem that was created by something else, which was uh, the creation of massive amounts of capital and, you know, all the interest rate increases in the world weren't going to stop the inflation that was created by injecting so much money into the money supply. It was a nice try. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, it's we're starting to see some softening 
uh, in inflation and that sort of stuff, mostly because you can only inflate so far before people can't pay it anymore. Uh, that's what I think is really slowing inflation down more so than even interest rates. Interest rates is just causing a bunch of collateral damage. But I, I don't I don't have confidence that the leaders that are sending us in this direction uh, are going to figure that out that that wasn't really the solution. And let's, you know, start to ease back on the throttle a little bit and kind of get a normal balance that would, you know, not uh, impact commercial real estate owners because, you know, nobody really cares about commercial real estate owners. So uh, I, I don't have confidence that that's going to change direction anytime soon. So I think we're here for a while. How long? I don't know. I mean, at least I think it's at least a year, if not two years and maybe three years. It's interesting. I look at forward uh, curves, uh, which are predictions of where uh, index rates are going. And, you know, they I I remember a year ago, they said they were going to start coming down in a year. Well, now we're here and they're not. And now they're still saying, oh, in a year, they're going to come down. And it's like a year from now, are they going to be like in a year, they're going to come down. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't have confidence it's going to be uh, that quick. That's why That's why I've been sitting on the sidelines. I haven't bought anything in over a year and a half. And uh, it may be another year and a half before we do. I, I just don't know. I mean, or it could be next week. I mean, you just never know. I mean, it's weird how things well, can that's, change. That's time. interesting you say that because so like I have... I'm in a lot of deals, both as a passive and general partner, and you know some deals, whether it be uh, passive or general, there are some some deal, and I like fixed rate financing because of the the risk, um, w- way more than the three one one. But I am in some three one one type deals, and those are, you know, having their challenges. And but when I look at today's market, any anybody underwriting a deal today is using these lar- these higher interest rates to underwrite. You know, using, ex- you know, insurance costs have gone up, property taxes have gone up. So those numbers today are all known. They're known by the seller, they're known by the buyer, they're known by the broker. And so they're being underwritten for. And so I, th- I believe that buying today is less risky than it was a year or two ago before when, you know, financing was really easy to come by. So what's your agree, take on that? Agree, less, it's less risky than it was uh, a year and a half ago. There's no doubt because we've seen what's happened in the last year and a half, right? Where prices have contracted considerably. I mean, we're off at least 20%, maybe 25% on multifamily pricing from where we were in, call it, March of 2021. Uh, so there's definitely been a swing and you wouldn't have wanted to ride that all the way down. Now, if you buy today, you avoid that swing, but... Is there more swing left? Right. Are you catching a falling knife? Is yeah, that's right. You know, is the question. You know, is there a lot more to go, or are we going to have this time period now, and then all of a sudden start, you know, heading back upwards? That's that's the million dollar question. Yeah, that's the million dollar question. Are we catching a falling knife now? Now, for me, you can try to catch a falling knife. That's and and if you're right. Uh, and it was about to reach the bottom of its fall, you're going to do very, very well. What what I'm looking for is I'm looking for some kind of signal that the knife is about to stop falling. I haven't quite seen that signal yet. And, you know, I've I've seen it before. Well, I I look for... What what is the signal? The signal is that everybody hates the asset class in part. Mm. The other signal is, uh, you know, you'll see more foreclosures, more distress, 
I, I think the clearest signal to me, you know, there's an old saying that Warren Buffett says, right? It says, uh, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. Everybody's heard that, right? Uh, well, there's been some talk that people have said, well, everybody's fearful now, so this is a great time to buy because it's time to be greedy. That's what Buffett says. This is what we're supposed to do. My take on it is that right now it's buyers that are fearful. You know, buyers are fearful that they can't get financing. They're fearful that they won't be able to raise the equity. They're fearful that interest rates are high. They're fearful that they're going to catch a falling knife, all that stuff. When you've really reached the bottom is when sellers are fearful. When sellers are like, if I don't do something right now, there's going to be a big problem. Or I'm fearful that I'm going to lose all my investors' equity. Or I'm fearful that I'm going to be put out of business. Or uh, I'm fearful that my uh, loan maturity is three months away and I have no exit. That's when you start to reach a bottom. Because right now what's happening is buyers are like, yeah, the property is worth 10 million. And the seller's like, BS, it's worth 15. What are you talking about? I'm still collecting all my rents, blah, blah, blah. Right. And until the sellers get real and actually allow pricing to settle where the true value is, we haven't quite seen the bottom yet. I mean, you know, it's there, but you can't really see it because it's kind of foggy. That's a good point. And that goes to the that million dollar question, like the sellers could potentially hold on and the buyers could end up, you know, the market could go back the other way and then they they get their price or it gets worse and the sellers start to capitulate. So um, that is the, the million dollar question. But I, so the other side of that signal, I like that signal that everybody hates the asset class, right? Um, other side of that is, you know, when I was looking at real estate, and you've been in it longer than I have, but I was on the loan trading side 2002 to 2006 in that, that run up. And people were buying, like, realtors would buy, like, 10 homes, that spec homes that were being, you know, built because they were like, oh, man, if I buy this home, it's going to be built in 10 months and I'm going to make an extra you know, by then that same home will be worth fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollars more. And I had one guy that that worked next to me on the trading desk. This is this is like top type of um, environments where everybody hates the asset class. The opposite is everybody loves it, right? And he was in a it was down in South Florida, and he was in line to for a new construction high rise building. Okay. He bought, you know, signed the contract for it. It was just a, it was, you know, it was just dirt. They hadn't even started the construction yet. He bought it, and then the person next behind him was a was a realtor who had an investor in Chicago. She said, "I'll buy your contract for a hundred thousand dollars more than you just got it for." The guy just stood in line and then signed over paperwork and made a hundred grand. Like that to me is like, this doesn't make sense. Right. That's when you call the top. That's when you call the top. That's when you call the top. So I'll tell you some stories about that because I, I have a couple. So uh, during that period of time, I was going to um, real estate investor club meetings and everybody was saying like, oh, I need to buy a rental property. You know, I got to find one. It's, and I'm saying like, why? You know, they're five hundred thousand dollars and they rent for fifteen hundred a month. What's the point? You know, you don't make any money. Well, those these are all these realtors you're talking about that were buying up all this real estate. Uh, that you were trading their loans for. Well, guess what happened to all that property? Three years later, I was buying it on the courthouse steps for like 40 cents on the dollar. And 
And so everybody, everybody loved real estate. I hated, I was out, I wasn't buying anything. And then all of a sudden the light switch flips and now I'm buying everything. I mean, I was buying sometimes three houses a day and I was buying it. it I would look back in the history of trades on those properties. Some of them I was buying for prices they were trading for in the 1980s. I mean, literally the same price somebody bought it for in the 1980s. I turned the clock back like 30 years. So, so that's what happens when it gets exuberant. And then in, oh, no, it was about 2010, I'm at a conference and I'm speaking about, you know, what we're doing, you know, these house flips and buying the courthouse steps. And I'm like, you know, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to start buying some of these houses to hold as rentals, because I think that in five years, prices are going to double. And this guy comes up to me and he's this big time, big wig dude, you know, real estate investor dude. And he's like, you know, you're just wrong. You have it all wrong. You know, you this isn't the time to buy and hold. This is the time to flip. He's like, this is catching a falling knife. Your, your timing is all off. And it's like everybody around me hated real estate. I'd say, oh, we're going to buy and hold. Oh, we're not funding that. That's ridiculous. The market's crap. You know, we're not buying. No way. So we did. I started buying. I bought 120 rental houses in the San Francisco Bay Area between uh, 2009 and 2012. And in five years, they didn't double. They doubled and a half. And I oh, sold wow. them all. Uh, and and it's like, so when everybody loved real estate, I wasn't buying a thing and prices were ridiculous. When everybody hated it, I was buying up all kinds of stuff and it was a killing. So I saw the same thing happening uh, two years ago. We had a property, we got an unsolicited offer. It was a multifamily uh, property and, and we got this unsolicited offer. I'm like, you know what? This is, this is crazy. Take this thing out and see what kind of uh, offers you can get. So the broker takes it out. He comes back with like 25 offers. Uh, way over what we ever imagined the price would be with uh, non-refundable earnest money deposits well into the six figures. Meanwhile, we're trying to buy stuff and we're getting outbid by people by millions of dollars with million dollar hard deposits. And I'm like, this is the top of the market. It's time to sell. So we started selling everything. We sold three quarters of our portfolio over the subsequent 18 months. And every one of them we sold over what we anticipated to get with non-refundable earnest money deposits straight out of the gate. And then what happened, like literally three months after we finished selling, the market falls 20%. These signals always repeat themselves, and I haven't seen the buy signal yet. I, we saw, we just saw the sell signal, but when people come up to me and start saying, like, what are you thinking about buying real estate? That's crazy. Then I'm going to know it's time to, like, start raising a lot of money and buying a lot of real estate. That, that's interesting, though, because you, you are saying that you saw the top two years ago. And we you did. think that that was the, the, the top. And... I think residential real estate has gone crazy um, from the standpoint of COVID, right? And prices, once, once COVID happened, kind of everybody went on pause and then real estate just went crazy. Um, I don't know the impact of like, there's a lot of people that have three, three and a half percent interest rates that are just not going to sell, you know? So how does that impact what typically would have happened? You know, well, now you're now you're talking single family, right? Your single family right. owners, uh, you know, those guys are actually doing quite well. It, it's it. You know, I always say like people talk about real estate having cycles, right? Up, down, up, down. Nice, clean little cycle like a sine wave. But the real estate market isn't really like that. You know, the real estate market is like a whole bunch of different waves that are going up and down at different times and different amounts. And and, and every class of real estate 
is on its own market cycle. And that's what people will say like, oh, you're in real estate. So what do you think about the market? And it's like, what the hell is the market? There's no such thing as the market. Right. You know, there's there's a, a, you know, a single family market, there's a multifamily market, there's an office market, industrial, warehouse, hotel, all these different markets. And then within that, there's different markets in every local jurisdiction. So, you know, right now we have a situation where office is in the toilet. Uh, retail is, meh. I mean, it's already kind of fallen, but now it's kind of hanging on and it's in this little flat line. You've got multi that just fell and may fall a little bit more and then it'll come back. You've got single family that didn't do anything. I mean, it, it might, maybe it went down a couple percent, but then it's starting to bounce right back up. We still to this day have this little small arm of our business that does single family house flips. We've lived, the last few houses we've sold, we've sold with multiple offers over the asking price, which was over our anticipated list price when we bought it just, you know, a couple months prior. So we're still seeing, at least here in California, we don't, I don't do that on a national basis, but we're still seeing uh, single family pricing holding out quite well, uh, while multifamily is, you know, taking this little, little tiny little free fall. So it's, there's all kinds of different things going on at the same time. Uh, I agree. So in your view, looking at those different Asset classes and different geographies, where is the place to be today? So you've got apartments, you've got single family, you've got short-term rentals, you've got all those different, you know, self-storage. And, you know, if you, if you say that you like to buy when everybody hates things, you know, office is in the toilet. Would, would you step into office at this stage? You know, if, if there was, if you're looking for uh, something where you can get in at the bottom, office will probably be the next one. Uh, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's bottomed yet. Yes, people hate it. Uh, it's just still not quite, it's, maybe it is, maybe this is the bottom. It's hard to really say for sure. If you got to have an iron stomach for office, you had to have an iron stomach for office, even in the good times. So you really have to have an iron stomach in the bad times, but this could be a bottom for office. I don't know. It's hard for me to call it. I think you'll see a lot more trades happening, you know, that are very surprisingly low for a while. You know, I don't think this is going to be a quick bottom. We're like, oh, in six months, it's going to bounce back. I think it's going to be a long bottom where if, if you want to buy office at the bottom, you probably have a big enough window to, to do that where you don't need to jump in today. You know, maybe you don't try to time it on the bottom, just get it right when it starts to recover. And that may be a while, you know, maybe it never comes back. I mean, office is, it's going to be challenging. It's going to take a while. Uh, I, I think op there's opportunities in single family because single family is still really strong. You mentioned to me uh, about all the people with 3% mortgages that aren't going to want to sell. Well, that's creating the situation where buyers who want to buy have nothing to buy. So right. home building might be a really good spot to be right now. You know, there's a demand for new homes. Uh, you know, there's not going to be a lot of sellers that are going to be willing to get out of their 3% loans. So, uh, uh, you know, home building might might be a good spot. I don't think land banking would be very good, but home building might be pretty good. Uh, and industrial uh, is, I think, still pretty strong. You know, industrial has been really popular for a while. So, you know, you wonder if it's getting a little bit long in the tooth. But, uh, you know, there's still going to be a lot of demand for logistics as, you know, things shift from, you know, storefront windows at Maine and Maine into, you know, warehouses with delivery trucks, you know, located way off the beaten path. So maybe there's some opportunity there, uh, you know, and then in a, a little while, uh, you know, multi uh, will, will present some opportunities. Yeah. Who knows how long. 
you got me thinking, you know, because I, I'm on the multi side. I'm I'm kind of of the mindset that you got the supply demand. You know what your expenses are today. Today's a better time to buy than yesterday, but we don't know if we've hit bottom. That's that's the big question that where you come from. Well, the sellers need guys like with that kind of thinking right now because they they need somebody to buy that property and you know it just depends too on your it depends on a lot of factors right what's your time horizon if you're thinking well we're going to sell in two to three years yeah you might not be so successful if you're looking like hey so this is a seven to ten year plan you'll probably do quite well if you buy now and even if the market does go down more right it's like buying a stock that goes down in value but you plan to hold it until retirement in your ira you don't care if the, you're not looking at the price every day to say, oh, you know, I bought McDonald's stock and it went down by $5, you know, but you're not going to sell it for 30 years. You don't care. Right. So it, it really just depends on a lot of factors, right? I mean, if you're buying with other people's money and you're saying this is a three to five year business plan, I would think very carefully. But, you know, if you're investing your own retirement cash and you got a long term, you know, view on the market, then that's totally different. Every situation is different. I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, what's your take on where investors are today in terms of fear? Oh, man. Nowhere near as bad as it was in uh, 2009. I mean, in 2009, even the best business plans, we were out there trying to raise money for, you know, house flips, buying at the courthouse steps at 50 cents on the dollar and buying rentals, like, you know, at all time lows at 30 year ago pricing, it was difficult. I mean, flat out difficult to raise money. I still see guys out there raising money that probably have no business raising money and they're getting it. So I think that uh, investors aren't as fearful as they were, you know, 15 years ago, you know, yeah, they're, they're not exuberant like they were two or three years ago and throwing hundred grand at anybody that would throw out an offering memorandum. Uh, but uh, uh, it's not like you can't get your deals funded, you know, any way, shape or form. And, and I've seen that before. You've seen that before. What do you mean by that? Yeah. In 09, you, you couldn't get anything done. Couldn't I mean, get anything done. Oh, yeah. It didn't, didn't uh, matter how good the deal was. No, no. I mean, I, I remember going to uh, investor meet, meetings back in uh, 09 and 10. And we'd give this presentation on, you know, we're going to buy this multifamily property. You know, it's going to be like 16% IRR. Uh, this is the plan. This is the price. We're buying it out of foreclosure. You know, is the low price, this and that and the other stuff. And guys at the investor meeting were like, I don't even get out of bed for anything less than 20% IRR. It's like, that's how bad it was. Unless you could show that they were going to get 20 to 30% return. Wow. They weren't even interested. And, you know, entire rooms of, you know, two or 300 people and you'd get one or two investors out of it. Whereas now you could go into a room of a hundred people and get 20 investors without even trying. You know, it's, it was totally different then compared to now. So... There's two different things that, that have changed since then. One, the, the market has changed. But, and then two, there's a lot more investors that are investing in these private syndications than were you know, investing in those types of deals back in 2009. So both of those things probably contribute to that. Correct? I think they do. I think that's true. And now, now it just depends on how those investors perform, right? So people that didn't previously passively invest are now, were then, you know, now passively investing, you know, for the first time. 
And a lot of times they weren't vetting the sponsors properly or the deals, or they just didn't know what they were looking for. Right. right. And so they got into deals maybe they shouldn't have. And so, so now the question is, uh, are these same investors getting capital calls from their investors? You know, it's like, okay, we shut off distributions. Now, instead of us sending you money, you got to send us money or we're going to lose the deal. Uh, when you start getting in that situation, those passive investors are going to become very fearful about getting another deal. You know, it was like when the Madoff thing happened, it was difficult to raise money. Everybody asked the question, how do I know you're not the next Bernie Madoff? How do I know you're going to take all the money and run? Right. And, you know, those kind of fear cycles, you know, they happen. And so now people are going to be, well, how do I know I'm not going to get an unplanned capital call? Or how do I know this deal isn't going to go south? And that's going to have an impact on the availability of, of investors that are going to be coming into these deals. And that's going to make it a little bit more work to raise capital. And it's going to mean that some sponsors who had very thin Rolodexes uh, are not going to be able to get deals done. That's, that's I, I see that happening. I see people that used to raise, you know, a ton of money, you know, over the last year, nine months have, have had, you know, more struggles um, to, to raise that capital. Um, but they're still getting the deals done that they want to get done, but it's just been tougher. Yeah. It's been, um, so what about, I know that you guys are, um, you guys have something on your website for inflation. Um, you've written a book. Um, talk about your book a little bit on, you know, where can investors get that? What, what's the gist of it? And, um, you know, give a little bit of insight into that. Yeah. The book. It? Yeah, yeah, the book is The Hands-Off Investor, and I wrote it as a book intended to teach passive investors how to passively invest, right? Because, I mean, there's all sorts of books out there on how to buy real estate, you know, how to become a real estate investor. Uh, but there was really no repository of knowledge for people who are like, hey, I've got a few hundred grand. I want to invest passively in a real estate syndication. I don't want to go out and buy a house. I don't want to go out and buy an apartment building. I just want to invest in a passive investment, have somebody else do all that work. Uh, there was no really book to teach people how to do that. So uh, that's why I wrote this book. I, I wrote it because a friend of mine lost her entire life savings investing Holy in a passive investment. Holy cow, really? And, and uh, I, I just didn't want to see that happen to anybody else. And, and I thought, you know, she did that because she didn't know. You know, she didn't know what to look for. She didn't know what she was doing. Uh, and uh, I thought, yeah, if I could prevent that from happening to one person, it'd be worth writing it. And and then I looked around and nobody had written it. There was no such book. I, I think that's awesome because, you know, I hear so many people say the first step if you want to get involved in passive investing is educate yourself. Educate yourself. Like, that's and, right. But, pe but people don't really know, like, where to get that education. Okay, I've got a million different podcasts, a million different books, meetup groups, like, I don't want to be an active person. I don't want to go to all these conferences. How do I educate myself efficiently so that I'm making a smart decision, but I'm not, I know I just don't have the time or, or even the, you know, the want to, to spend that much time learning about it. So that's great that you gave a resource available. Where can people pick that up? Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's called The Hands-Off Investor. It's also available in bookstores and uh, it can be found. You can get it direct from the publisher. And if you buy direct from the publisher, they give you some bonus content, like a big list of questions to ask sponsors. There's a couple video interviews I did with passive investors. So that's kind of cool if you get that package from the um, publisher. It's at biggerpockets.com forward slash syndication book. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Um, 
going back to to kind of mixing office with multifamily, what are your what are your thoughts about taking office and repurposing it as multifamily? That's a popular topic right now. A lot of people are talking about that. Now, some of that can be done, right? I mean, there there are some properties where you could convert them to multi and that's going to serve a really good uh, need. But there's others where it just isn't going to happen. I mean, if you take a big cavernous uh, office building, you can't just convert that to residential because in residential, you got to have things like windows, (laughs) You know, if you have a bedroom, you have a window, right? I mean, nobody lives in the middle of a fully enclosed space with no windows. And, and you know, some office buildings can be hundreds of feet by hundreds of feet. And what do you do with the middle of that space, right? I mean, generally, residential properties are built in some sort of a shape uh, that allows the typical dimension of a residence to have an entrance on one side and windows on the other, or maybe windows on both sides. And, you know, like people are talking about, oh, we're going to convert this shopping mall. Like you can't convert an old Sears store into condos. You know, I mean, you can maybe create condos around the edges, uh, but then what do you do with the middle, right? So there's, there's some properties where they're just functionally not all that suitable for residential construction, and they may have to be torn down. Uh, but there's others where it can work. And I think there's people that are working hard on this problem, trying to figure out how to make that work. And, and the, whoever figures it out is probably going to do quite well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that it's a, it's a big opportunity. Um, there, you mentioned a lot of the challenges, right? I mean, you, I, you have a, one window on the, on the edge, and then as your apartment goes in, it gets darker. So you have to come up with, you know, ways. Also plumbing. You know, if an office building, the plumbing, there might be, you know, men and women rooms in the in the middle of the. Now, all of a sudden, you have to do plumbing, you know, for all the different apartments. Um, I recently saw a video that talked about another challenge that I hadn't even really thought about, which is occupancy. So even though office occupancy is low, you really need to have, you know, sub 50 percent occupancy to be able to make that conversion. If you have, you know, if you're 65% occupied with office tenants and they have leases and they're still paying, then, you know, there's not enough to, to warrant the, you know, changing that over to multifamily. So there's a lot of buildings that don't fall into that camp. So um, there are challenges, but I do think that that, like you said, whoever figures out how to, how to do it, um, and can financially make it work for everybody, then that could be a huge home run, um, you know, going forward. Indeed. Yep, I agree. So what about inflation? I know inflation's coming down. Um, you know, we were at 9%. Last reading was in the threes. You know, what's your take on owning? I know you sold a lot of real estate, um, but what's your take on owning real estate during inflationary times? You know, there's an old saying that real estate is a hedge against inflation, right? And that, you know, the time to own real estate is in high inflationary times because inflation means all prices are increasing. And as prices increase, that's good for asset owners. And while I I do believe that is a true statement, uh, I, I don't know that it necessarily applies to what we're seeing today uh, because the, 
So there, if you look back to like that crash after 05, you know, the reason that that happened and the economic collapse of 09, the reason that the 09 economic collapse happened was because real estate triggered it, right? When real estate went in the toilet, you know, jobs got lost and that created, you know, financing issues, which financing issues led to bank failures and that led to job losses. Well, now real estate is once again the leader. But this time, real estate was the leader, not in destruction, but in inflation. Uh, when you look at right post-COVID, you know, 2020, uh, probably like maybe July of 2020, because the first three months was like, oh, you know, panic time. What's going right. to, you know, but, but then everybody got, wait a minute, we're still alive. <laughs> you know, we're still alive. Uh, so uh, now I got to find a place, uh, a bigger uh, apartment to rent because I'm going to work from home and I need another bedroom so I can have an office. Right. So, so now all of a sudden housing prices started to go up and, and housing costs rose dramatically, very quickly. I mean, rent increases of 30 to 40% on an annualized basis over the, you know, the subsequent two years after this whole COVID thing. And that's really what led the inflation index. And, and it was like, it was a leading thing. And I used to say like in early 2022, it'd be like, the thing was, is that people were getting raises at work, right? There was this big movement to increase the minimum wage, you know, $15 minimum wage and all that stuff. And you know, some of the employees on the lower end of the wage scale were seeing 20 to 50 percent wage increases very, very wow. quickly. And so, you know, they're able to afford a lot more rent. It's like if, if you think about like a three to one ratio where, you know, you can you can pay a third of your income in rent and your income doubles, your rent could go up a lot and still maintain the three to one ratio. And there was no other competition for uh, those dollars. So the, the landlords were getting all of that increase and rents were going up very quickly. Then all of a sudden what happened is the price of gas started going up and the price of bacon's doubling and you know the grocery store prices are going up. And now it's like, uh-oh, uh, now, now all of a sudden there's competition for those extra uh, earnings. And that put the brakes on rent growth. And so uh, while we're in an inflationary time and the inflation data as a percentage is a lagging indicator, the, the, the main part of the housing inflation occurred very early in this. And now the housing inflation has slowed down dramatically. And in some places, you're actually seeing year over year rent declines. Atlanta and Arizona, two of the darlings of the industry, uh, for the last several years, we're seeing month over month rent declines as of late. And so, um, yeah, owning real estate inflationary time is great. But uh, when the in inflation is caused by the housing, you'd better have owned it before the inflation occurred. Uh, if you did, you did well. If you're coming in late to the game going like, oh, now's the time because of inflation, you missed the boat. It already happened. Yeah, I I've never heard that before in terms of the competition between, you know, rent and, you know, buying food and gas and all the other things, but it, that makes a lot of sense. Um, the other thing that I would add to, to that is the financing component is, you know, if you're in fixed rate financing, then you're loving life in inflationary times because everything, all prices are going up, but your, you know, your debt service is staying the same. Um, but, you know, where the people that have gotten hurt are the ones that have floating rate because their debt service is going up with um, interest rates. 
And so, um, in any event, hey, you've done a ton. Um, you guys have, have sold a ton. You've kind of been on the sidelines. Like, kind of what's the next, you know, where do you see things going from here for you and your company? First of all, tell us the name of your company and, and where people can, can reach you. And then um, where do you see things going? Uh, our company is Praxis Capital. The website is praxcap.com. It's P-R-A-X-C-A-P.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Investor Brian Burke. Uh, you know, I, where do I th- see things going? Uh, you know, for, for, for you and your company. Well, <laughs> I'm hoping to improve my golf game and spend more, <laughs> you know, spend more time on the beach. That's probably what's going to be happening for me for the next uh, shorter term. Uh, uh, for, you know, the company. What's the handicap? <laughs> what's the handicap now? <laughs> probably fifty to sixty. I don't, I'm Your not, handicap is fifty to sixty. No. <laughs> if, if I could break a hundred, it's a great day. Come on. Uh, I, I'm I'm no good, but I'm going to try to see if I could get a little bit better because now I have more time on my hands to do stuff like that. You know, I. Don't don't see a lot of growth there. You know, one thing we are doing now is uh, we've gone into real estate debt. We're buying real estate debt now instead of real estate. I just like the fact that, uh, you know, you'd appreciate this from a note trader. Uh, you know, somebody else's equity is in first loss position, not my debt. So that's why uh, we're buying real estate debt. It's a safety play. And I'm just being defensive right now. And that's that's what our company is doing. We're just being defensive and waiting for uh, you know, the, the buy signal to come along where we can jump back in. So in the meantime, I'm, uh, you know, just uh, taking a little easy for a while. I don't have to work 100 miles an hour with my hair on fire every year of my life. I've done that for the last 20. Uh, so it's time to take a breath and a breather and energize myself for the opportunity that's eventually going to come whenever. It well, well, good, good for you, because there are a lot of people that are stressed out right now because they've you know, they may have a number of deals that are doing fine, but they have, you know, a couple of deals that are, you know, struggling and you, um, you know, you're not in that boat. So that's a good, good place to be. So I'm enjoy. not, but I've sat in that seat. You I sat have in sat, that seat I before, have sat right. in that seat. So it is part of, it is just part of the deal. If you're in this business, you're going to have days like that and you're going to have days like this. Good for you. Good for you. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, um, sharing your wisdom and, um, Listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 